Hello and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino and I'm your host and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. Yes, I know those of you who are avid listeners, you love when I talk about race. I am unafraid to talk about race because I think it's important and I think the left, unfortunately, has hijacked the issue of race and have pinned people unnecessarily so against each other. Uh, My guest today is Charles Love. The Charles Love, I'll point out and say, as his email is, uh, he is the Executive Director of Seeking Education Excellence, SEE. He's the host of The Charles Love Show that's seen on AM560, The Answer, and he's co-host of Cut the Bull podcast. Charles, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yes, my pleasure. So you you deal with an, a lot of you know what are considered controversial topics, right? The topics of race. Uh, you break the mold, as um, I think that that mold is broken permanently now because there are so many people out there like yourself that are taking a different perspective on the issue of race in America. And uh, you wrote three books. Uh, the first one called Logic, the Truth About Blacks and the Republican Party. The second is called We Want Equality. And the third and most recent is called Race Crazy. And I'd love to just really spend this half hour that we have together and talk about those books and those perspectives because they're all great topics. So let's start with your first book. You you wrote a, wrote a book called Logic, the Truth About Blacks and the Republican Party. Obviously, people are going to need to go read it because you're not going to be able to go through the whole thing here. So tell us about you know what the premise is of the book Logic. Well, Logic is the easiest of the three. I think I can summarize that right here. Because it, it wasn't really like the others. The other books were intentional. I, I sat down and went, thought through what I wanted to write about. This kind of came from a series of me taking notes and observing the way people change. And it just didn't seem logical to me. It wasn't now the the, the title. I mean, you put a title together and people it, it, it elicit these thoughts. But it wasn't me trying to convert people to be a Republican. I'm not even a Republican. It was just it didn't make sense that people who had been living their lives seemingly happy, you know, going through life, you know, going on vacation, buying nice cars, they seemed happy. Obama wins. You know, they were happy about the win. And then all of a sudden they became political pundits and they were talking about politics all the time, but they didn't know what they were talking about. They were historically uh, incorrect. And they were just saying things like no president has ever been, you know, disrespected as, as much as this president. You know, I guess they just forgot about all the ones who were shot or they said things like, well, this is the only time this has ever happened. You're like, what are you talking about? Or, all Republicans are rich. Or, all Democrats are for the people. And so in the book, I just said, I'm not trying to change your politics. I just need you, if you're going to get into the fold, to understand what you're talking about. So I kind of dispel some myths. So they talk about, you know, you still hear some of them today. Um, uh, one is, you know, the Republicans, they'll talk about these these war hawks, right? And our Republicans want to get into war and the Democrats are pacifists and they want to keep us out of war. Okay. There may be individual Democrats and Republicans who, who fit that mold. But traditionally, if you look at all the wars America has been in, we have quite a few some major wars that were uh, kind of, we were guided there by Democrats. So to say that this is a Republican thing, even when you talk about Bush, Bush was president, but what was the Senate vote to give him, you know, authority, war authority, right? It was like 94 to two or something like that. 
Um, so that's not true. They say that Republicans were all rich, but then if you if you look at the richest people, members of Congress, the top 20, I think 17 of them were Democrats. So I'm just saying, if you're going to make these comments, you should understand what you're saying. So that's pretty much what I said in the first book. It was more kind of like letters and notes to my friends to say, you know, this is what you look like when you say these things. You can either go back to the norm where you weren't talking about it at all. It's totally fine. Or if you want to talk about it, then you need to know what you're talking about. Because when you say these things, you look like you don't know what you're talking about. Well, yeah, to people who know better, like yourself, when when you say something that is ultimately incorrect, you know, you know that it's wrong. But a lot of people, unfortunately, hear that type of rhetoric. Oh, all all Republicans are rich, or the Republicans only care about the rich. That kind of thing. I never understood that. You know, my family was is Republican, and you know, especially growing up, we didn't know any rich people. You know, what my parents weren't weren't supporting the Republican party because they were for the rich. They didn't know any rich people. They didn't come from wealth, you know? Right. So you know, that's really great. That's, that's great. And I, I think I, I really mean this. I think that that, that mold of African-Americans believing so much of what the Democrat party and the left has told them has been broken. I mean, there are a lot of people like yourself. I've had them on my show. Some of the best guests I've ever had. Uh, okay. So your second book is called, we want equality. Take us through that. Now this is, you know, if I had to say one of the darling children, this is the book. I know the new one's out and people are loving it because of the ethos. But what I like about the second book was I put a lot of these, these, what I call progressive racism in the third book, arguments to shine the light on them and put them to shame. But better, it was prophetic because I wrote, it came out in 18, I wrote it in 17, and I said that this was going to happen. The subtitle of the book, We Want Equality, is the, how the fight for equality gave way to preference. And so I just simply said, we are going to get to a point sometime now where I was wrong, I'm thinking 15, 20 years down the road, not three. But I'm saying at some point, we're going to get to the point where the same people whose parents or grandparents were saying, treat me equally because you're not treating me fairly. You know, wearing sandwich boards that say, I am a man. Just treat me like you treat Jerry. Don't treat me better than Jerry. Just don't treat me worse than Jerry. Give me the same opportunity and I bet I can perform given the same opportunities. When now the children and grandchildren of those people are saying, well, we should just hire people because they're black. We should, say, we should mandate that every company has 13% or 20% of their board members should be should be black or 18 to 25% of their board members should be women. But then you just, it's, it's so illogical. You just ask a simple question. Don't argue with them. Just say, okay, I see what you're saying. I understand your point. Hey, so should a company that's owned by a black man have 70% uh, of his board being white? Well, no, that's different, right? Right. So it makes no sense. So I was saying we were going to get there. People were going to openly, I, I called it negative equality in the uh, book. So we want equality, but we're okay with being having what I called negative equality. And what that means is Jerry's white and Charles is black. So Jerry makes $80,000 a year and Charles makes $30,000 a year. Now we could say, how do we give Charles the opportunity to make more money? Or we can just take money from Jerry, have them both make 30. It's all equal. Technically, that's equality, right? So I said that they were going to start saying they wanted equality of outcome instead of preference. I didn't call it shifting from equality to equity, but I said that was going to happen. I said that they were going to say that women need to be treated different. We're going to treat everybody the same. And then what they're going to do is we're going to treat women differently. We're going to treat blacks differently. We're going to treat immigrants differently. We're going to treat all these groups differently. And I said that was going to happen. So I wrote about that, but I also... Uh, at the beginning, the best part, I think, is 
I still make my opinion. So I use facts, but I use my opinion and I say the equity or equality thing, even equality, which you know most of us have more uh, agreement with, will never happen because you can't even make everybody, because even the, a lot of Republicans will say, well, I want equality of, of, of opportunity, not outcome. Better than equality of outcome, but I don't want equality of opportunity because that means everybody gets an NBA tryout. Right. Everybody gets to try to go to Harvard. No, no, no. We don't need we don't need any equality. We need people to not be blocked for having the ability and the skill sets to do something and be blocked because of their race, gender, whatever. But everybody doesn't get the opportunity. No, that's not true. So I lay it out real clearly in the book. I, I do. Uh, the first chapter is a brief uh, snapshot of history. And so you talk about we just need to fix human nature. I'm like our flaws are human flaws. We're always going to lie, steal, different percentage of us, but people will always do some of these things. So you can pass all the laws you want. So I lay out everything from wars to genocide to, to child trafficking to, to sacrifice to everything, everywhere in the world. So I talk about Asian, the history of East Asia, of, of the Aztecs, of Eastern Europe, Europe, of Africa, and said everybody did all this, not just slavery, everybody did all different types of bad things. So you think it's going to stop because you, you know, yelled a few, created some new definitions of words, you're out of your mind. So right off the bat, and I think my example in the in the preface is about a married couple. So they want to be fair and treat each other equally. So, but they don't do the same thing. So, okay, if I cook, you clean, right? If I do, you know, if I do the shopping, you do this, and we come up with this thing, and then we got it set, and that's what we're gonna do. But then it happens that, well, I realize that it takes you this amount of time to cook, but it only takes me this amount of time to do dishes, but that's not fair. And laundry is not the same because this, it takes more time, and you have to do this in the sorting. So no, I don't think that's fair. So let's readjust the responsibilities. And then they say, well, how are you gonna wait my time when I'm at work? And then that doesn't even work. You can't split anything equally. So if you can't split marital and household chores equally, how are you going to split the economy of a country with 330 million people equally? It's not going to happen. It's not possible. And, and people make choices that, that, you know, create environments for themselves, whether they're white or black, right? LeBron James is not my color, but he makes a heck of a lot more money than I do. And his kids have a, a much better much better shot at uh, certain successes than mine do. So yeah, that's really great stuff. I mean, I, I, I highly recommend everyone uh, get all three of these books. So your your more recent book called Race Crazy. Let's talk about Race Crazy. So Race Crazy is basically about the climate we're in now. So now we're knee deep in everything that I said was going to happen. And I, I say that some of it is good intention. Some of the people I just think are trying to make money or some of them are just radicals and they're crazy. You know, people on the right will say they're usher, trying to usher in socialism and communism. And that's true for some of them. But some are just true believers say, we just want racism to end. But even to them, one, we're back to my last comment about trying to fix human nature. You're never going to fix it. But their intentions may be good, but we know what good intentions can lead to. Their actions are in some ways, no different. I call it, that's why in the book, I call them progressive racists. So what is progressive racism? I mean, it's kinder, gentler racism. It's basically, you know, John, the, the new 21st century version of John Calhoun. So a lot of people participate in slavery. We like to talk about the founders and this, that, or the other, but all of them didn't have the view. Most of them, when they wrote about it, they wrote that it was wrong and it was bad. Not John, John Calhoun. John thought it was okay, thought it was benevolent. These blacks are beneath us. And if we don't own them and guide their lives, they won't be able to live their lives on their own. 
How is that different from what the white left is doing now when they say, well, racism and systemic racism is a problem in America. And I and my whiteness is going to get to the bottom of it. Right. I'm going to fix it for you. I just had somebody today tell me that, you know, they said that I don't get that, um, you know, what these white fascists are limiting me from. And they're going to help me uh, in that regard. I tell a story, you know, use some real stories because people need to understand this, that my son's school just flat out told me to my face that they thought me and him by extension were oppressed. How do they get to say what my, so I thought my life was great, but they're going to tell me that it's not. So if I either, I don't believe it and I'm a set, I'm a set and I'm offended that they said it, or I believe them to which I live my life that way. I, I go, I go on believing that there's some, you know, boogeyman out to get me. And I changed the way I react, both in how hard I fight to get where I want to get, what I look at as a primary focus, the focus on my life, how I prioritize, and then how I look at you. You know, I never met you, but now all these things that they tell me about you will make me the prejudiced person that I've been for years saying that is bad and I don't want to be like, and we need to eliminate that. Now I feel the same way. Now you have people saying, I'm only, award ceremony. Well, who do you think is going to win best actor or best singer? Who do you got? I always root for the black person. Are these people right now today, you know, they're doing a black girl magic. We got a, 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 a midget lesbian black woman that's going to be the press secretary. I was like, why do I care? I, I was thinking today, I almost tweeted. I was like, what's the point? I was like, well, I was the first black person to hold almost every position in my jobs I ever had. Where's my ticker tape parade? I mean, who cares? What did, at, at what point do the first stop? So what I point out in the book is just that in an effort to end what racism they think still exists, it does. They think it's way more than it really is, but they're trying to eliminate all of it and remember erase racism. But in, in an effort to do that, they're being racist. I mean, Kendi openly says the only way we can end racism is to be racist. We need the, the, the racism to end the racism. It's it's crazy. So just wanted for the record, the school that told you that you and your son are oppressed told you a man who hosts two radio shows and wrote three books. Right is oppressed. That's what we're essentially yes. told to believe. And my son who's sick. So who's oppressing him? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they told us exactly. And, and clearly there was no, no man involved. And it was all, it's just all, you know, like white women and, and one progressive left black woman saying, yes, you're, you're oppressed. And I don't get a say. I mean, they can have that opinion. You, you have the right to have whatever opinion you want, but I don't get a say. You're going to project your beliefs on me. I think you're oppressed. Therefore you're oppressed. And we're going to educate in that vein. So we're going to teach the class and approach it as if your son is oppressed. So you're going to treat him differently, but you said you're going to treat him the same. How can you teach him and teach the class to treat everyone equally if you think I'm inherently different? It's just not even possible. Whether you're right or wrong, let's say I'm wrong and you're right. Blacks are oppressed. But you can't also say we're the same. We're all equals. We want everybody treated the same and then say, but you're different and, and the system treats you different. We people think you're different. You are different. So we need to fix that. So you got to treat me differently. Then that's the only way you can achieve what you want. So what what I find amazing, and I'd love to get your your perspective on this. So one of my most people that have influenced me and my beliefs and thoughts and and understanding of things is uh, Thomas Sowell, uh, the great economist. And one of the things that he's talked about is he looked at it right after slavery, the black family was together. The, the rates of literacy were very high in among blacks. They were business owners. They were 
upstanding citizens earning money. Yes, they had the deck stacked against them unbelievably, including legally. But even in spite of those horrible, that horrible treatment in those horrible situations, they were prospering. And, and even as time went on, when the black family started to decline was when white liberals said, we need to help you. Is that true? Is that the case? That's when literacy weight rates went down for blacks. Uh, that's when violence and you know criminality started increasing among the black community is when white liberals started helping them. True or not true? It's, it's true. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of other factors. So a lot of what I talk about is the culture. And I get, you know, and it kind of sometimes play into politics, but a lot of people are just really partisan, really political now. So they talk about that. But when I first started speaking and writing out about stuff, it was all about the culture because I noticed this cultural shift. Now, obviously, if you're talking the 70, early 70s through the first, you know, 10, 15 years after that, uh, obviously that played a part. The family is, I mean, it's cool. All right, so you take a parent out. I mean, just imagine how hard it is to do this thing alone. And then you, you put the government into place and you start giving people things. You give people incentives not to work. That's all true. But now I would say in the last 20 years, the bigger problem is the culture in that we have started to condone things we didn't condone before. We have started to, I mean, we see extremes now. We can talk about, you know, you know, men, you know, saying, identifying as women. So then conquering certain sports and things of that nature. But it happened way before that. See, we, we're we so focused on that because it is extreme. We forget. I mean, I'm sure you're old enough to remember. So if you go back 15, 20 years ago, remember what the talk was? We were the, the crazy traditionalists were complaining about not transgenderism, not race. They were complaining about participation trophies. And everybody stop taking score because that hurts people. What do they call it? mercy rules? Because you can't just run up the score on people, you know, things of that nature. So culturally, we had we have gotten to a place. We went from the 80s Wall Street excess greed is good to like, well, people should be. Who am I to say? Who am I to say anything is wrong? Just, eh, who am I to say? But well, should people have? Eh, you want to use a book? First, it was like abortion because you don't want women in certain situations not to be able to do it. And people are like, okay, that's fair. Then it was like, eh, how about a form of birth control? To people celebrate, say, my third abortion was my favorite one out of six. So we think the argument is that now to, to the people who really rapidly are against it and for it, the argument is whether it's right or wrong. But for all the rest of the people, it's a cultural thing. It's like we went from even the people who were pro-choice used to be like, but there's a lie, right? Now there's people advocating for, you know, maybe if you got a toddler and you decide you don't want the kid, you should be able to just, you know, you know, end his life. Because who can force a grown person to just take care of somebody they don't want to take care of? Or so like homeless. We don't want people living on the street who are homeless and the government should help them. And I'm like, oh, like, that's true. But we will never end it because the left will never force those people off the street. So we can put all the money, all the set asides, all the beds, all the mental health care, all the things they say we want. Give it to them. Sign up. Everybody on the right say, done. You got what you want. Now, all we want is no homeless people living on the street. So we got the facilities. We got the money. But if they don't want to go, you must force them. Go Well, we can't force them because they get freedom. And how can we force them out of the public place where they're, you know, carrying in disease and shooting up drugs. How we can't force them out of the school part. So so that's what I think. I mean, so what Thomas Sowell talked about was was on that foundation. And we built upon that so high. We're, we're seven, eight, nine stories high in this madness. And all the other stories is culture. It's all what we allow. It's who are we to say something is bad. You know, it's it's 
don't lock people up, even if they don't like lock nonviolent offenders up. Oh, by that, I mean, don't lock anybody up. You know, they want to. So in the book, I write about BLM and I write about what they actually want, not what you hear from pundits. Now, quote it from them. We are abolitionists. We want all police, all jails, all detention, immigration detention centers, all abolished. Nobody anywhere. Then we don't want anyone under 23 or anyone over 65 arrested or put in jail. But why would they be put in jail? You just ban the jail. See, circular logic. So, but we want to ban the jail, but we want to make sure double ban the jail by saying, even if you find a jail somewhere, you can't put somebody over 65 or under 23 in it. We want to release people. We don't want police. In, in, here's the best one. No police in schools, no security guards in schools, no surveillance cameras, and no metal detectors. How do you defend the schools? And I'm and I'm done. So that's the problem. We just created a society that's so smart and so educated, but educated by the wrong people in the wrong way, that they have such hubris that they can fix everything. That's way bigger than the unwed uh, um, uh, mothers and the uh, single parent households. That's the problem we got now. And that's worse. Right. No, really good point. Very, very well put. Um, yeah. Black Lives Matter. So you do discuss that. I've actually seen some um, some interviews, other interviews you've given and you've talked about. Actually, you were on uh, on Fox News. You were on Brian Kilmeade's show. Tell us, you know, do we need Black History Month? Yeah, I remember that because what I said was we're all arguing about, you know, which books we should read and which, which we should teach and what history is the right history. And because they, you know, abdicated their responsibilities for so long. People aren't reading at grade level. These kids can't read whatever history book you can give them anyway. So what we should probably do is make sure that they're reading and doing math at grade level before we worry about teaching about black history. But do we need black history? I don't like Black History Month, not because I don't want people to talk about black, to talk about black excellence. Two reasons. One, because they only teach negativity. So they teach you. Uh, I had a friend of mine and his daughter's a high, brilliant high school student. Shout out to her. I actually gave her credit on the Kill Me episode because it was her thing, which she called, I'm tired of being taught the Fantastic Four. And I said, who are you talking about? She was talking about Harriet Tubman, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and who's the other one I always forget. Uh, these same four people, right, all the time. So it's always people who overcame slavery, all this negative. No black excellence. So the problem is too negative. But the other problem with Black History Month is it's like American history is a grand, beautiful plantation home. And black history is the is the beat up old outhouse out back. Black blacks in America, that history is still American history. So you can teach their contributions under the umbrella of American history. But I don't want it under a separate umbrella. It's American history. You can teach what if you teach in a different time frame teaching what happened in the late 1800s. You can teach what Chinese people were doing, what Native American people were doing, what Blacks were doing, but it's still American history because it's the history of America. Why do we need to carve out our own? This is our special history right here. No, but it should be taught, but definitely not the way Nicole Hannah-Jones does it, which is, you know, leaving the parts out that look good because according to her, nothing was good. The, the bad stuff she pointed out is true, but I mean, you left out, I mean, in her in her mind and in, in, the, in the 1619 Project, there were no abolitionists. No one was fighting against slavery. There were no, all of the founders were slaveholders, which isn't true. Just all kind of madness. There were no slaves before 1619. The whole premise of 1619 is crazy because there were slaves here from Europe, brought here by Europeans 50, 60 years before that. Didn't count them because they weren't the same people who founded America. They were like Spanish and Dutch and ah, different, different Europeans. So we don't count them. So teach it, but teach it properly, but teach them to read first. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and that was the point that was made in in that uh, interview uh, by. So the the other two individuals that were on with you are they your uh, co-hosts on Cut the Bull? 
Yeah, Shamika Michelle and Wilford Riley. He's a, a political science professor at um, Kentucky State University at HBCU in Kentucky. And she is just, you know, the fearless Shamika. She's part of uh, Jason Whitlock's Fearless and she works at The Blaze. But yeah, the three of us do a podcast every week. Oh yeah, you know they they were both excellent too. When I listened to the to the interview with you guys with Brian Kilmeade, uh, really great stuff. And yeah, it's it's interesting when you when you look at revisionist history that they want to force down our throats. I don't know. I learned about the civil rights era and slavery. I know they want to say that we don't talk about that. Yeah, we do. I learned about it, and I I'm 47 years old. It's been a while, and we we talked about that stuff. Uh, right. So we are learning. But your point is to say is, yeah, that's great. Fine. But our kids need to know how to read and write and do the things that are going to advance them in this world. But, but but even better than that, if you give them the argument, we need to learn about black history. So you said you learned about civil rights. You learned about slavery. Did you learn about a Philip? You remember learning about a Philip Randolph? Nope. You remember learning about the the first black doctor, the first black professor, the first black the, what year the first black graduated from college? So they don't teach you any excellence. You don't know black in- engineers. You don't know black doctors. You don't know that you know the Harlem Renaissance people talked about that, but a lot of them went to Ivy League schools, went to Columbia, whatever. You don't. They don't talk about that. So even in there, when they teach it, they're teaching slavery. How about you teach all the people who did well? Right. They want to teach Tulsa and the massacre, which is fine, except they don't want to teach that somehow, even in Jim Crow, those black Americans had to be able to build wealth and they don't teach you that many of them built those buildings, businesses back. So they think Tulsa was burned down and then it was just a shell of the city for the next hundred years. They built their businesses back, give them credit. You don't even give them credit. You just say slavery, slavery, bad, white man. Right, no, I, I think that's that's really brilliant. And I, I will tell you that I love learning about those exceptional people. For instance, I was at a, a hospital here in uh, Southern Ohio in Cincinnati, and there was a whole mural about uh, a, a black female who who was a doctor there, who was the first graduate from Harvard and so on. And I'm going, I've never heard of this. This is a great story. There are so many more, but you're right. We never hear about who those. Cares? Right, right, exactly. And well, I will tell you the one person when I, I had uh, the gentleman who invented the stoplight, right? The, oh, the, yeah, the, Garrett Morgan. Garrett Morgan. I, the only reason I know that is because his great grandson or great great grandson I went to high school with. And his name was Garrett Morgan. And I remember him telling people that. And I, I bet every man in that family's name Garrett Morgan. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. But he was from Cleveland here. And, and you know what, you know, but that's the only but the first open heart surgery, not the first black man to do it. The first open heart surgery. Right. Blood plasma. The reason we can do blood transfusion. Uh, all these were black doctors. Nobody knows them. Nobody knows them. Some black people do. But if that should be some of the stuff that's also in the curriculum, if you want to teach, but all they want to teach is slavery. Man, they don't teach. You know, the 1619 Project talks about Reconstruction and doesn't talk about Ulysses Ulysses S. Grant. He was a two-term president. All of his presidency fell within Reconstruction. The only person they talked about was Rutherford B. Hayes because they had a point to make. So that's not history. That's picking and choosing the things that match my views. I would teach it all. I would teach about the 1876 election. That's a totally plausible thing to find out, teach about bad in America, about how Grant sent the feds down there to defend black Americans from these racist whites in a trade-off with, uh, for um, Hayes to win the election. He agreed to pull the feds from, 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 from down there. That's fine. You can teach that, but how do you, but that was one year. How do you not mention the guy who was president for eight years? 
most people don't know that there was a, there was civil other civil rights acts like the Civil Rights Act of 1866 and 1871. They don't remember that. The Anti Ku Klux Klan Act. All you know about Warren Harding is the scandals, but he was fighting against the Klan. Nobody knows that. So you're going to teach history. Teach history. Right. Hundred percent, absolutely, and I everything that you just talked about. I'm sitting here going, "Wow, I didn't know that. I want to learn more." And and that's what our kids should be learning about. And then they'll they'll have a different perspective. It's really great stuff. So uh, Charles Love loved having you on here. No pun intended here, but uh, that it was a really great conversation. Loved what you're doing. Uh, your your three books. How could people find you, connect with you, and uh, uh, get your books and listen to your shows? Well, they can find me easily either at, like you said, the website, thecharleslove.com. I'm on Twitter at cdouglaslove3. And the books are everywhere. Barnes and Noble. You can go, you can come by them for me. Uh, come listen to me speak or, yeah, check me out. And I usually uh, say where I am and what I'm doing, but that's probably the easiest way to find me. Uh, the show is on AM560, The Answer in Chicago. It's one of the Salem stations. And Cut the Bull podcast. Check that out every week. We have some great guests and I'm sure you'll enjoy that. Yep. So yeah, you, I presume you're on all the podcast apps that are out there. So all, all you have to do, uh, if you're listening to my show here on a podcast app, just search for cut the bull podcast and you'll find it there. Um, and so please do, I'm going to, you, you have an, a new listener here in me, really great stuff. You've done managed to accomplish a tremendous amount in your life in spite of being oppressed as your son's teacher said. Imagine if you weren't oppressed. Imagine what you could have accomplished in life. The girl would only know. Yeah. Maybe I'd be Robinette Biden. I'd be the president of the United States. I wouldn't want that job. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Oh, man. Charles Love, great to meet you. Great having you on. Thank you so much for being here, and thanks for all that you're doing. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening to this episode with Charles Love. you got to check out his three books. Check them out. Uh, thanks for listening to this episode and uh, all my episodes on all the podcast apps, on YouTube, on Rumble, and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on rightamericamedia.com. So thank you again, and we'll see you next time. So